Well, welcome to the first service of our missions conference. We're excited that you're here and uh, want to introduce our speaker to you this morning. And he'll be speaking all day today in Sunday school and church and then again this evening. And then he'll be doing chapel also in the morning for our Christian school. Uh, Don Fanning um, has been a missionary himself in Colombia and Argentina. Uh, was a pilot, planted churches, a lot of years of experience. And we are so excited to have him right now. He is the... Uh, uh, head of the Cross-Culture Studies Department at Liberty University. He was in the undergrad program, and as of February, he's now head of that department in the seminary. And uh, we got to spend some time with him last night, and he was telling us when he took over the undergrad program, they had three students in that program. Now they have over 150 uh, people planning uh, to go into missions. And so just think what he's going to do, because he's starting with four in the seminary. One more, so... So we're just excited to have him here. He has a lot of years of experience. So Dr. Fanning, come and share what's on your heart. Thank you so much. Now that's four resident students. We have about 100 uh, that are online. As you know, Liberty University is one of the largest online programs in the, in the country, if not the world. Uh, almost 100,000 students online, and we have about 9,000 in the seminary. And so it's amazing how the influence of liberty is going everywhere. Just yesterday, I f had forgotten, you know, sometimes you travel a lot, you forget stuff. I forgot my charger for my, my Apple, and we go up to the mall to the Apple store, and sure enough, the guy that sells me the charger for my Apple uh, was a liberty student. He's studying online. So you never know. It's just amazing what God has done. I want to tell you one story that, uh, and because it kind of gives you a flavor for the heart of, of Liberty University. When I was a young Christian, actually less than a year old in the Lord, I was a junior in high school, uh, I knew a graduate of uh, another Christian institution who was now working in a Christian school. And he told me, he said, Don, if you get two other guys, I'll teach you how to win people to Christ. I said, boy, I wanted to learn that. So I got two other guys, and we met one day at the YMCA in Pensacola, Florida. <clears throat> we spent about two hours in the morning and then two hours in the afternoon, and we got to it after lunch, and so we got to about three or four in the afternoon, and we decided to go down to the streets in downtown Pensacola where the Navy uh, guys on Saturday are free, and, and you can imagine what they plan to do. And so... Uh, we went down there to practice what we had been taught. And really, if you don't practice what you're taught, you really didn't learn much of anything, and you quickly forget it. So we, we did that, and I remember talking to people, and a lot of no's, and not interested. And then all of a sudden, one guy says, you know, I've always wanted to know, how in the world do you get to heaven? I said, well, I can show you. So I was just, you know, young kids, this is great. So had a client, you know, and uh, so we went into a little cove of a store that was closed, and, and I shared with him the gospel, the Romans Road, as I had learned it. And um, then we got to the end, and I said, uh, now, it, now that you understand it, if you recognize your sin and you really want to receive Christ, would you like to receive Christ? almost expecting another no. You know, my faith wasn't very big. And he said, you know, I think I would. I about, oh, my first sale. <laughs> you know, just, and so uh, then I remembered, you know, we, we talked about how to present the plan of salvation, but I don't remember we ever talked about what do they do if you, you know, what do you do if, you, if they accept it? So I hollered over to my, my friend. And I said, Ron, he wants to accept the Lord. What do I do now? And uh, so he hollers back at me, and he says, Don, just get him to tell it to the Lord. I said, well, that's pretty simple. And so I did. It says, well, now, if you'd like to receive the Lord, why don't you just tell him? Tell him in your own words, and then, then I'll pray. Just talk to him like you were talking to me. And so he did. And it was amazing. And so I said, hey, now, right now, I don't know what you plan on doing, but I got some friends I want to take you to. So we walked about two blocks over to a Christian serviceman center, and I introduced him to some Christian sailors that are, were over there. And, and so he immediately got into a group of believers. And I mean, it was the, that's how my Christian life got started. And how you get started always pretty much determines how you end up. The guy who taught me that, his name is Ron Godwin. He's the provost of Liberty University. 
and he sets the heartbeat for the whole campus. And uh, it's just an honor to be able to serve in an institution whose heartbeat is evangelism. And so you know that because you've got a pastor and others that are, that are part of that whole institution. But what a thrill. And let me just tell you one other story, and then I'll show you this presentation about Liberty University. The morning that Jerry Falwell Sr. died, he had breakfast with Ron Godwin. And as they finished that breakfast at a little restaurant called Bob Evans, a little promo for Bob, but uh, as they finished that, rest, that meal, um, Jerry told Ron this. He said, you know, we finally got our finances in order. If you know anything about liberty, they struggled through some horrible days. And Jerry's faith never wavered. He says, we got that solved. We're pretty much integrated as to how we're going to be structured uh, administratively. He said, Ron, from now on, I want Liberty University to be dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. That was the last order he gave. Two hours later, he was in the presence of the Lord. And with that, set the whole heartbeat for Liberty University. And I just wanted you to know that. And that's why we do what we do. And it is amazing how God is incorporating global studies, global missions into every field of study throughout the whole university. Now, with that said, I wanted to give you a why. Why do we do this? What are we, why do we get involved with missions? And I guess you got to go back to the final Great Commission. Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And he says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he makes this statement. He says, And teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. The Great Commission is one of the most motivating and life-changing things thrust of the whole Bible. And uh, he left us with a commission. You can imagine being on that hillside, a bunch of highly prejudiced, very uh, negative Jews that hated the world, and the world hated them. And he tells them, your task is to tell every people group on the earth about what, I'm, what I just did on the cross. And they could care less about the rest of the world. And in fact, it was years before they ever engaged. It was at least 10 years before they ever told the story to the first Gentile, Cornelius, in Acts 10. It was 19 years before any kind of a general agreement, consensus was made among the early church that they should even go to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15. And it's just sad that it took so long. But these were the people he left the commission. Can you imagine? I mean, it's, how, it's a marvel of grace. It's a marvel of wisdom. It's a marvel of patience. It's a marvel of vision that he would do that with these people. But he did. And they finally caught on. And they did it. Patience is the key to making this happen. But we've been waiting now for 2,000 years to have it fulfilled. And I guess we're probably getting closer. As a matter of fact, we're getting so close that the essence of the Great Commission, we can actually accomplish within the next 20, maybe 25 years. I pray you will live to see it. When the last language, the last tribe, the last people group on earth is actually reached with the gospel. Now let me show you how it all has panned out and where it's going and what the focus and the status of where we're at today. So we're going to look at several things. Number one, we're going to see the big picture as we just kind of mentioned Jesus' last words and I'm going to show you a few more. And then we're going to look at the status of the Great Commission, where we actually are now. And then we're going to see how the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. I'm going to show you statistics of where, what the level of percentage is in every country on the earth. I'm not going to 
labor you through that. But I'll show you a map with all the numbers. You can scan through it real quick. But then we're going to look at some of the dramatic recent progress. More advance has been made as far as the gospel is concerned around the world in the last 10 years than in the last 2,000. It is amazing. At the same time, there's been more martyrs for Jesus Christ in the last 10 years than there ever was in the last 2,000 years. We don't hear a lot about it, but they are still dying for the cross in enormous numbers. All right, let's see this. And the final is the challenge to the unfinished task and what you can accomplish. Let me just say something before we continue on this venture. When, when I came to know Christ as a junior, my family was not Christian. The only Christians I knew were the ones that I met. And I didn't even know any Christians when I became a Christian. But the person that led me to Christ was a Spanish teacher in a public school. And then I met one guy who was Ron Godwin, and he was the first Christian man that I knew. And, uh, but through them, they would give me books, um, and uh, I read, they gave me all of the mission, mission classics, so I read all of the stories of missionaries that were, was in print. And then on Sundays, whenever they were in several different churches, and if any of them had missionaries over and had them for a Sunday dinner, they, for some reason, would call me and ask me if I would want to come over and have lunch uh, with the missionary, which I always took advantage of. And uh, little by little, these missionaries would just put the bug in my ear and challenge me for, for giving my life for reaching the unreached of the world. Now, why did I say that? Because that's the same kind of thing you could do. Don't ever sit back and say, I'm too old, I can't do it. The lady that led me to Christ was a 56-year-old, old-maid school teacher. You're around young people all the time. You've got a school here. You're around people that could have you know, enormous impact if you just cared, if you just reached out. Do you ever think about buying Christian books, mission books, read them yourself, make sure they got a good message and real challenge? Give them to somebody. Give them to somebody. Give them to young people. Give them things that will help them see the vision. And uh, you get them an opportunity to get around some missionaries. Not just during the once a year during the missions conference, but every other time that they come into town. Get young people that have a heart for God. Get them in ex- give them exposure. Be proactive. Think about how you can engage people that can make a difference in the kingdom of God around the world. And that's going to be my challenge to you the whole day. So... If, you, if that offends you, you know, probably you'll stay home and watch TV tonight, I guess. But at any rate, uh, then we'll go to the next one. Jesus' last words were these. The command was, as we mentioned to you, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, the word nations is not what we call countries. We think of that as countries, but that's because we were, the, the real meaning of the word is hidden in the Greek. It's ethnos, which means ethnic people groups. We didn't have geopolitical countries like we have now until after World War II. We had about 90 before World War II, but at, before World War I, we hardly had any. They were empires. And every part of the empires were divided up by provinces or actually by people groups. And there's thousands of people groups. And they chopped them all up and made it countries, caused wars and all kind of ethnic cleansings and all kind of terrible things. So what Jesus is talking about, he wants the knowledge of his gospel, and he particularly, he wants disciples in every people group. Now, if you get this, he's not talking about making disciples of everyone in every nation. That's not what he's saying. It's not a mass involvement. His priority, and should be our priority, is to make, if I can put in an extra word to kind of give you the, ne- the, the, ne- the nuance or the meaning of the phrase, he wants, you to, wants us as the church, he wants us to make some disciples in every one of the different people groups of the earth. You find a people group by a different language, a different culture, people that distinguish themselves from other people, and every one of them God wants disciples in every one of those people groups. That has never been the priority of the church until just very recently. 
We didn't even know the meaning. We never even focused on the Greek meaning until the last 10 years. It's amazing how ignorance of the scriptures have kept us from really fulfilling the Great Commission. But now there's great movements, and I'll share with you, I hope in the end, of how we can accomplish that in the next 25 or 30 years. Amazing. But that's the idea. It's a church for every people group. Maybe this church could pick one and take it on as a challenge and uh, pour your efforts and your interests, your talents, your skills into making one people group that today, as we gather, they have no knowledge of the gospel. You can do it. Churches are doing this. But secondly, look at this. The results of the God's glory and kingdom fill the earth. It talks about that from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue in Revelation 7. It's amazing what, what will happen at the end. This is during the tribulation period when they're all in heaven. And it's just amazing what is going to be there. In other words, the mission will be accomplished by somebody. I want to be one of them that help make it happen. I hope you do. And then he says this, why is making disciples of all nations so important? And that's this, that Jesus directly linked his return to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Notice how he says it when he was asked, when are you coming again? He said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, the same word, to all ethnic people groups, and then the end will come. If there's any reason for why he has not returned, it's because the church hasn't finished the mission. He wants every language, every people group to have a chance of hearing the gospel. And that is on our shoulders. You can't theologically wash it off. You've got to understand that he gave us the responsibility. He didn't tell us how to do it, and he won't tell us how to do it. He just wants us to use our creative sense and our capabilities and our time to make it happen. And that's what he's looking for, is our initiative. I tell the students that God will bless every initiative that you have for his glory, for his purpose, and for his honor. You just make sure of those three with your initiatives, and you've got his full backing behind you. And uh, then he says this, there'll be worshipers from every people group on this before his throne. And purchase for God from your, with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now you have to understand, that is written, that's Revelation 5.9, before the first seal in the book of Revelation is open. That is, this is at the very beginning of the tribulation period. This is not the result of the tribulation period. This is before the tribulation begins. This is the result of the effective outreach and world mission of the local church around the world. And I'm thankful for what you guys are doing for global missions around the world. But let's not ever pat ourselves on the back until we finish that last lap till we cross the line. And then he says, the church for every people. So what is the status? And that is, that how many people groups are there on earth? How many of these ethnic people groups are there? Well, the answer is, the total people by country, that is, uh, people groups are counted for each country that it's in. This is the list most often referred to as the peoples of the world. And there are a lot of them. There's 16,000 total people groups of the earth. A total over 7 billion people. And then, then we got how many people groups are considered unreached or the least reached. And this is sort of a statistical uh, figure that missiologists or people engaged in trying to plant churches in a people have to come up with. And that is basically a 2% um, Bar. They, they, if we can bring the number of evangelical believers who are bounded together in a local church and with the purpose of um, exhorting and, and, and motivating each other to be more obedient to the word of God and to extend the gospel to other people um, in a church that's really effective, 
then uh, if we get 2% of any population to that level, they can take care of the evangelism of the rest of their people group. And that's what's happening around the world. I'll show you in a minute. So 2%, once they reach that percent, then they become, the majority of them are still unevangelized, but they're not unreached. So it's a technicality, but it is a definition that we work with. So when we say unreached people, we mean that the total population of the evangelicals is less than 2%. There's still a lot of them around the world. But that's, the, that's how, what we're working with. And so the best current estimate of unreached people groups are that there are 7,000 unreached people groups, which number about 2.89 billion people, or 41% of the world population. And then there's 86% of them are in what we call the 1040 window. Now, the 1040 window is, a, is kind of a two lines that go across horizontally. The, uh, uh, the map, particularly across North Africa, India, Southeast Asia, China, Southern China, it's the 10-degree latitude north to the 40-degree latitude north. And a swath across North Africa, uh, India, Southeast Asia, and Southern China that is where the vast majority of these unreached people groups are habitated. It's also the poorest sections of the world. It's also some of the most dangerous because of the religions that dominate those areas. But that's where they're at. And 66,000 people die daily, or about 26 million a year, without any knowledge, have ever one time even heard the word Jesus. So why are we engaging in missions? Because too many people are dying with no chance of hearing the gospel. Nobody in their language, nobody in their neighborhood, nobody even close, they, they themselves have never heard. How do you sit back and just be apathetic with that? We can't. We can't. And then we look at this. Look at these unreached people groups in India. A total of 2,500 People groups in India, look at how many of them are, are unreached. Remember the definition, less than 2% are evangelicals and 2,200 of those 2,500. China, there's 516. The vast majority of the Christians in China, of which there's over 100 million of them, there's actually more evangelicals in China than there are in North America. But almost all of them are in one people group, the Han people. And they're not reaching the other 490-some uh, unreached peoples in their own country. Nor are we. And then in Pakistan, 389, 374 are unreached. I think one of the problems is this. In the 1960s, a fellow by the name of Donald McGavern wrote a book on church growth. Now, he was a sociologist. He was not a theologian. He was a sociologist, grew up in India. But one of the principles that he came up with was that we should pour all of our resources into areas that are more receptive to the gospel and, and kind of go with the flow. And as a result, almost all of the missionaries are going to the countries where they're, they're open to the gospel, where they're receptive to the gospel. So much so that less than 3% of the entire mission force is going to the unreached peoples of the world. 97% of them are going to the people that are the most receptive to the gospel. And they're mostly Christian populations that need evangelism. Catholic countries, uh, Orthodox countries, you know, other religious countries, they all need evangelism, but they're not strategically prioritizing the, vision, the completion of the Great Commission. And we bought into the fact that the more numbers we win to Christ, the greater God is pleased. But you have to get the picture. That's not, he was never into numbers. Numbers come, but you don't, more indirectly than they do directly. He's more interested in a few. And he, that's why he wants some disciples among every people group. Then the numbers will come. But our beachhead has got to be laid first. And that's what the church has to almost totally neglected, is trying to establish a beachhead among every people group. And then, as we go on, uh, we see some of these unengaged, unreached people groups. 
Now, the unengaged unreached people groups, these are the unreached that there is nobody working with, none at all. And they are numbered, look at this, in India, there's 348 million, and there's 343 unengaged unreached people groups. Nobody is working with 343 people groups. Some of them number into the millions. Look at that, 134 million in population to all of them. And then in Sudan, there's 22 million of 168 different people groups. Now, you think these are going to be easy to reach? I'm not talking about, you know, these are not going to be, you know, you know living in country club style to reach these people. This is going to be a very primitive, very poor, high risk. Uh, won't be able to go there as missionaries. You've got to go there as something else. This is a very, very difficult task that's left for us to accomplish. But we don't have a choice. This isn't we can't sit back and say, well, Lord, you never told me that. <laughs> he did. I just read you what he told us. And it's ours to figure out how to make it happen. He is not going to tell us how to make it happen. A friend of mine in, in Dallas, Texas, inherited $23 million. Well, that was, that was, when I heard that, I thought, oh, boy. You know. But then he told me this. He said, in the stipulation of the will, I can't touch the $23 million except to invest it. And my only potential of getting any of my inheritance is I have to make money with the monies that I inherited. He said, if you think it's easy to make money with $23 million, you don't know anything about business. It is really tough. Says I'm into 13 businesses, all highly promising businesses, and only two of them have even broke even. The others are all losing money. You know, 80% of businesses in America go broke in the first five years. Now, his father did not tell him what to do with that 23 million, except that he had to invest it. And I've got to tell you, that's the way Jesus gave us. You know, the parable of the talents is actually money. And he gave us, he gave some five talents or one, ten talents or whatever, depending on which time he was telling the story, but, but say five talents and, th and, and two talents and then one talents, that's a weight. It's about $35,000 in silver today. And he gave them money. And then he left. He didn't tell them what to do with that money. He just... Obviously, he's going to leave, and then he's going to come back and see what they've done. No instructions. They just had to use it wisely to see how much they could make it grow, how much they could duplicate it. And so when you start thinking about business, you've got to remember, don't worry about jobs. You've got to figure out how you can make at least four times as much money as whatever salary you want for your business in order for them to pay you a salary. That's how we got to be thinking, instead of just trying to get jobs and thinking we, you know, everything is owed to us and we need to make, you know, get out of that mindset. We got to figure out how can we make money. And if I can figure out how to make money, people will hire me. Jesus is saying that I'm giving you spiritual gifts. I'm giving you opportunities. What an opportunity in our day! Technology and skills and opportunities today unparalleled. He said, I'm giving this all to you. Now, just fulfill my great commission. And you've got to figure out how to use it. And he will back whatever initiative you have for his, his honor, his glory, and his and, uh, purpose. <laughs> but anyway, next, what strategy can the church use to make disciples of all nations? Okay? One, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Learn how to preach the gospel. Learn how to be unashamed about sharing the gospel. And uh, as you are, you can, once you learn how to do it here, you can do it anywhere. I take a group over spring break down to uh, Miami. And uh, we, all we do all day is just share the gospel. These kids have never shared the gospel before. And uh, just amazing how that has enormous transformation in their life. They'll never be the same. We work with a group called... Um, open-air campaigners, and it's amazing what that'll do to your life if you just get involved in sharing the gospel, or it gets to be very easy to talk about the gospel. 
And then, the fact is, 28% of the world has little or no access to the gospel. And then, the Christians give 1% of all monies to Christian causes. Isn't that interesting? And then 95% is spent on U.S. local churches. Mostly of that is, you know, uh, paying for debts. And uh, that's kind of the way it is. And that 1%, less than 1%, is spent on the 28% of the world population that has no knowledge of the gospel. And then less than 3% of the missionaries actually serve among the 28% of the totally unreached of the world. And then finally, the balance is be saw wouldn't be 40% of the world population should get 40% of the resources of personnel and income. That would be great, wouldn't it, if we just had a balanced budget? Maybe that's how we ought to think about budgeting. You know, some churches do that. I'm not, don't, don't misunderstand me, I'm not criticizing anybody. We all live within our budgets, but, you know, set a goal of how much can we actually accomplish. Not just to give. I think we need to, I was sharing this morning, as a church, I think if I could encourage you to kind of get out of the mentality that we're just going to, that we're going to pay somebody else to do it, that we as a church need to be thinking about what are our goals? What do we as a church want to accomplish? And uh, let me give you that as a challenge. But look at the vision of Coca-Cola. A can of Coke in the hand of every person on the planet. Amazing. Just for a buck, they can, they'll go to any extreme to get it done. Look what they've done. They've gone to the desert with Coca-Cola, worst thing you can have in the desert. They've gone to India. Look how they're toting it. I mean, it's amazing. And, uh, and, uh, and to China, and they get it everywhere. I've been to some of the most remote places in the world and gotten a Coca-Cola. And basically, there's 10% are Coke fans. They're true followers of Christ, if we can do it as an analogy. And 20% are the cola drinkers. That is their nominal adherence to Christianity. They just kind of go along and listen and follow. And, and then 40% are non-cola drinkers. They have heard, but they're not responding yet. And maybe they never will. They just kind of like to listen to it. And then 30% of, are the colas totally unknown, virtually no exposure to the gospel. It's amazing how Coca-Cola and the percentages of Coca-Cola are almost the same percentages as it is with the gospel. It's a phenomenal. Yes. So what are some of the ways to use to reach every person? Let's see. Look what happened with Bible translation. Since 1500, by the way, 1500 is sort of when the Reformation started, 1517. But basically, look at how it started around a little after 1500, how that we started getting the Word of God into different languages. It's taken, you know, 200, 2,000 years for us to catch the vision of getting the Word of God into these different languages. And then the New Testament has been translated into the mother tongue of 82% of the world's population. However, the remaining 18% will require 2,016 new translations. And that is the task of the, both the Wycliffe Bible translators and a new company called the Seed Company that is taking on the task of getting the Word of God translated into at least parts of the New Testament translated into the last of these 2,000 languages by the year 2035. They have it accomplished. We at Liberty University, we started with a minor in linguistics for this reason. And this fall, we're going to be opening up a major in linguistics. And then we will combine it with a master's in linguistics so that we can graduate people out of Liberty University that can go right into one of these totally unspoken languages and get the Word of God into their language. And the only reason we're doing it is because the text says that's what he wants us to do. No special calling, no voices from heaven. It's just that that's what he said, that's what we do. Now that's the attitude. I hope you can grasp that and begin to live that way. And look at the, the, all of these different languages. You can see there's 2,025 when this was written that are in progress. There's no scriptures in 2,078 when this was done. Uh, probably no need in 192 of these 6,000 because they'll either be disseminated or assimilate into other groups. Then there's uh, the complete Bible is only in 457 languages. The New Testament is in 1,200. And there's some Bible portions that are in another 897. And there's 2,000 in process, and we need 2,000 more. Maybe some of you here might just have the ability and, 
and be willing to give your life to getting the Word of God into just one more language. All we need is 2,000 of you. Wow, we're that close. You wonder why it's looking like we're coming towards the end of the time? Because we're getting close to fulfilling the purpose of the church. The gospel of the ends of the earth is also seen in what is the most viewed film in history and what film has been translated into more languages in all of history. In the early 1980s, I started a church when I was in seminary up at Capitol Bible Seminary in Atlanta, Maryland. And I remember a guy walking into my office, kind of a ragtaggedy guy, wasn't no suit, you know, no tie. <laughs> Looked like your pastor. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but uh, uh, he walked in, young guy, and he said, you know, I've got a vision. I want to make a film about Jesus' life. And I want to present it and show it all around the world. I thought he was crazy. He wanted me to support him. And I said, I just, I don't know. I just can't. And this is one of those, the dumbest things that I've done. This is one of those decisions I have regretted since that day. And I, I said, you know, I just don't see that that is the way to make it happen. And I said no to the Jesus film. What an idiot. Because that film now has been presented to more people than any other presentation of the gospel. Six and a half million people have seen the Jesus film as of just the last year or so. It is the most incredible tool for outreach. More people about have heard about Jesus through that Jesus film than any other media. And then we keep going. Uh, the Christian radio broadcast estimate that the radio broadcasts cover 91% of the world. The greatest tool for reaching the world is radio. Uh, I don't have time to tell you, but there was a tribe in, among, uh, in southern Colombia called the Tacunas that uh, had listened to this, uh, caught a skip from Bonaiti from uh, Transworld Radio, and in the morning between uh, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, they would catch a broadcast from some schoolmates of mine and they amazingly were wide open to the gospel. And I flew into a town nearby, and, and uh, they came and, and uh, wanted to hear the gospel. So I went upriver, took all day to get up there, and they were amazingly responded to the gospel. Big, phenomenal story. But the status of the is summary is this. That the church for every people, a total group of 16,300. The unreached are under 6,700. Most UPGs are the three major religious groups. The vast majority live in major urban centers. Within a few years, about 15 more years, it looks like about 80% of the world will live in big urban cities, huge big cities. So our whole strategy for how to reach people, the idea of ever building churches like this is absurd. It'll never happen. We'd never be able to afford it, never be able to build them. Never, you, you just, there's too many people, number one. There's no way we could ever afford it and no, no way the nationals could ever afford it. And one of the basic principles of missions is you never do anything on the field that the nationals can't do without American intervention. Never create dependency. And so you've got to come up with a strategy that uh, avoids all of the dependency on foreign funds. And then the gospel to the ends of the earth, the true believers, 10%. That's actually about 11. Uh, nominal adherence, about 20 Heard, but no response, 40, and virtually no exposure, 30%, just like Coca-Cola. And then next, is Christianity stagnant, declining, or growing? And this is, this is kind of interesting how it's continuing to mushroom, and it's actually growing at about almost 5% a year, which is a great annual rate, more than any other religion. <clears throat> and then, next, uh, growing about two times faster than Islam, three times faster than Buddhism or Hinduism. And the explosion in the non-Western church, this is incredible. The true Christianity has grown more than 300 million believers in the past 10 years in the non-Western church. Only about 10 million of these new Christians are from the North America or Europe, that is the Western church. So 300 times, is that 30, 30 times more? Uh, enormous amount more uh, in the, in the non-Western church. And so next... The global south, the new faces of, of evangelical Christianity, that most of the uh, growth is in the south of the equator than has been in the north, like in the west. Okay, next. Here's an idea, see, in about 1990 or 80, I'm 19, sorry, 1980, 
the Western Christianity tied the non-Western Christianity. And since then, non-Western Christians have well outnumbered the Western Christianity. And uh, they are going enormously. Next. Uh, Cambodia, for example. We got uh, 1990, there were 10 tiny groups. 1997, 300 fellowships. 2005, 1,000 churches. 2000, there was a new church being planted every week and, and ended up with about 100,000 in just a few years. Look at the growth in Africa. That by 2012, we're at almost 500 million. And by 2025, we're estimating almost 680 million people in the church and churches in Africa, particularly Southern Sahara on down. But in the Philippines, there are 3,000 churches in 75. Now there's, in 2005, there were 55,000. And uh, they expected to send out 100,000 contract workers into the 1040 window. Some of the, church, some of the countries that are the most missionary-minded are the Philippines, South Korea, India, and uh, China. They are doing enormous tasks, so much so that they're way outstripping the number of missionaries from North America. In China, for example, uh, there's, in 48, there were less than a million believers, and in 2008, there were uppers to 125 million, most, of the, most growth in the last 30 years. In fact, most of it in the, even now, the last 10 years. And there are more followers of Jesus Christ in China than in North America. More people are being born in China every year than live in all of these other cities. Next, and then over 12,000 new Chinese believers are, uh, come to know Christ every day. What a thrill to be able to go over there and train leaders. And every one of you that would be willing to learn a skill, learn, a, learn something that would be worth teaching to these young house church leaders. Your pastor could be put in touch with all kind of people that could give you an incredible ministry. What a venue for you to learn how to be able to teach and train these leaders. Not just in China, but in India and, and all other parts of the world. That's a phenomenal strategy where most every one of you could be participants. Then the great diaspora movement that seeks to train and send out 100,000 Chinese. This un... un you know, the house church movement, underground church, they are very amazingly organized. I was over there a year and a half ago and met some of the leaders of five to six million people, just humble guys. You know, they all meet in little houses, and, and, uh, but these guys train and are responsible for five and six and ten million people. Just amazing. So whatever you tell them just gets filtered through that whole group. And, uh, but one of their tasks is to train these men in how to become foreign missionaries. I mean, what a thrill it is for me to be able to go over there and train a handful of people that'll train a handful of people each, and then they train a handful of people each, and it just disseminates through just literally a million people, whatever you teach them. Wouldn't you like that kind of a privilege? And as a result of it, they're now vetting them, and as they, tra they become trained and they become proven, then, they, then the, these house churches are sending them out. They've sent out over 32,000 missionaries of the 100,000. They're still looking for training and, and, and more opportunities to send out more. But they're doing it, they call it the diaspora movement, the movement out of China into the countries to the west of China. It's also called the back to Jerusalem movement. That is, they're moving from China all the way across every one of these countries, all of the Pakistan, all of the Stanis countries, and putting Chinese Christians in there to win them to Christ and to plant churches among them. It's amazing what's happening. Some of the developing world mission initiatives, now there's so much more being happening around the world than is even happening in America. America used to be the seed of all of missions around the world and not any longer. Now it's happening all over the world. Now it's not we're just going there, it's everyone is going everywhere now. And so the huge big movements... The Koreans are sending 50,000 missionaries. The Chinese are sending 100,000. The Filipinos are sending 100,000. The Nigerians are sending 15,000. And Latin Americans are, are setting a goal for sending 10,000. I've got the privilege of training a lot of these guys out of Latin America. Go every summer now, and it's just amazing what's, what they're doing. Most of them are migrating. They're moving over there to live out the gospel. And so next, uh, 
Here's what's happening to missionaries in America. The numbers of missionaries out of America has almost declined. In spite of the fact we send three million, two and a half to three million young people every summer to go on short-term trips, it's not affecting the number of missionaries full-time. It's great that they get to go, but the problem is they don't go full-time. They don't catch the vision, and they're not willing to make a lifetime commitment. And so the career missionaries is really not changing. And uh, what ha- why hasn't the Great Commission been completed? I'd just give it as a spiritual challenge. Satan doesn't want to give up ground without a battle, and he is fighting. He'll give you ideas and discourage you, create apathy, and give you arguments to ignore everything we've talked about even today or will tonight. And uh, more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries altogether. And that 5 billion lost people in the world, if you viewed them 5 per second, just like you're seeing on the screen, it would take 35 years to see everyone. That's how many people are out there. Amazing, the numbers of people. Some of them are the most difficult people to reach and some of the most difficult to penetrate. Geographical barriers, remote, harsh areas, linguistic barriers. I'm taking a group of uh, 13 students this next summer down to the jungles. And we're going to spend over a week out in the jungles. Next summer, I'm talking about sending a group of really elite guys. And we're going to go back and do a survey of probably 10 or 15 tribes way up in the interior of Colombia, maybe gone over a month. And it's going to be a very difficult trip, but uh, it's the only way. Now that Columbia is beginning to open up again, I want to get some guys that really have a heart for this to reach some of these unreached people and get them back into these areas. And then next, the countries with the highest percentages of unreached people tend to be the most closed to Christianity. Whole different approaches have to be made now. The traditional idea of missionaries going there as missionaries and you know, just knocking on doors and planting churches. And it just doesn't happen. can't happen today in the countries that we have to carry the gospel to now. It's too risky. They'll kill you or they'll throw you out of the country within a week. And so you've got to come up with whole different approaches. For example, like North Korea. The open doors ranked Korea, North Korea number one in the Christian persecution. Government severely represses all kind of religious activity. And, uh, but that happens a lot in other countries. China has been that way from 1948 when the communist revolution took over all the way up until 1976 when Mao died. Now the country's beginning to open up. Not fully, but at least enough to where you can go in under a business pretense and, uh, and create a business that actually makes a profit. You can do that as a businessman and build disciples. And, and so now the shift is being made in these areas from what we used to call a formal church planting effort to a church planting movement, and now what's being focused on is disciple-making movements. And that's what's so vital today. Well, these are just some of the countries. You can see the high percentages in Africa, except for the south of Africa. Then go to the next slide. See the percentages in South America, some of the amazing things that have happened and in the, the Asia area, most of them are less than 1% of, of evangelical Christianity. Even in Europe, look at Eastern Europe. Some of them, if you can see the numbers, they're, uh, the most two, many of them are less than 2%. Remember, that's the borderline for unreached. And, and then in North America, of course, there's 23% to Catholic and 29% are evangelical. Um, but that's the challenge. And I'll just end with this one. The church challenge is there an imbalance in missionary distribution. We've really got to get focused on these unreached areas. And that 95% of all cross-cultural missionaries minister to nominal Christian areas. They all need evangelism, just like North America needs evangelism. But boy, these unreached areas, they don't even, they don't even need, not only need evangelism, they, need the, they don't have anybody among them at all. They need somebody there. And that for every million unreached Muslims, there are less than three missionaries. How would you like to be three missionaries among a million unreached Muslims that don't even speak your language? Where do you begin? What a task. There's an imbalance in finances for every dollar Christians giving to all causes. How much goes to finance pioneer missionaries in unreached areas? Uh, the answer is less than half a penny. 
Well, I, I, there's some other slides, but I'm going to stop there because of my time. But I do want you to just kind of get this as a picture. We have done a lot. You have done a lot as a church. And the cause of Christ is immensely gratified for everything you've done. But now is not the time to lower our hands and lower our... You know, we can't quit. Nobody's got a towel. I love to tell this story because a lot of countries, boxing is a big sport. So as soon as I tell them the, the towel uh, syndrome, that uh, they know right what I'm talking about. See, the coach in a boxing match always has a towel in his hand. And the way a coach stops a boxing match is he just throws the towel into the air and the referee stops the fight immediately. Any coach of a boxer can stop the fight. And what I'm telling you is that we as a church, we can't even put our hand on the towel. Whatever it costs, however we get beat up, Whatever the loss, we just have to keep going until we finish the task. And that is what my challenge to you would be even in this hour. Get your vision fixed. The task he left us to accomplish, we must accomplish. Be a player. Don't be a spectator. Be part of the amazing thing that Revelation 5 says will be accomplished. And what a privilege to be on his side. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for the grace of God through this wonderful church, and just thank you so much for the privilege of being able to challenge them a little bit. And I trust that, Lord, their heart is open and uh, not offended by anything I might have said, that just they begin to really catch your heart, your vision. Um, that they might really understand that this is not just a sideline. This is not just a part of what we're supposed to be doing. It's the heart, your heart, of what we're to be all about. So Lord, give us insight into how we can reach our neighbors, how we can reach all the internationals around us, how we can be a player in multiplying, encouraging other churches, and, and how we can even play a part personally, many of us, if not all of us, and having some kind of a outreach and, and a ministry that could really bear fruit around the world. What a privilege, Lord, to be on your team. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.